I'm excited about Advent. It's coming up. Advent is that time of the year as we, we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Advent is a season. Christmas is a season. Uh, and it's a time when we remember that the world waited for the Messiah to come into the world. This year we're going to be focusing on, in the month of December for Advent, we're going to be focusing on a sermon series called Pictures of Grace. We're going to be looking at the five women in Jesus' genealogy. Fraser Discipleship has actually written a devotional. This is what it looks like. Next week, these will be available on Amazon. If you want a discount, you can get one in our bookstore. I encourage you to do that. That will be available next week. Also, if you have the app, um, raise your hand if you have the Fraser app. Just raise your hand. Good. If you don't have your hand raised, look around to somebody who has their hand raised and say, what is that? You know? If you have the Fraser app, you're actually going to be able to get these devotions uh, every day. You can set a notification, get them every day for free. They'll just come to you. Or you'll be able to read them or listen to them. So if you want to listen to them on your way to work, uh, some of our folks have done that as well. Uh, I'm thankful we have Sunday school classes, small groups who will be going through this study with us. And I'm also excited because we have other churches, even outside of Alabama, who are going to be doing this study with us as well. And so uh, please be praying for our time of Advent together. This morning, I want to talk about how to complete your assignment. How to complete your assignment. I think that one of the ways that we honor those who go before us, and one of the greatest ways we can honor them, is for us to actually complete our assignment. They've already completed theirs. Your family members, your relatives who are now in the presence of the Lord, they've already completed their assignment, the assignment that God gave to them. Uh, and one of the ways we carry on their legacy, their spiritual heritage, is that it's now our turn to make sure that we complete the assignment that God has given to us. I, I love what Paul said in, when he's talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He knows that he's never going to see these people again, and he's, he's pouring his heart out to them. He loves this church. He stayed there a long time. And, and as he's pouring his heart out to these leaders in Ephesus, he tells them in verse 24, Acts 20, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor precious to myself, if only, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, and that ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, that's all of our ministry, right? Every follower of Christ, that is our ministry. We testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We just do it differently. In the ways we serve, in the ways we go about walking with the Lord in our life, we just do it differently, but all of our ministry is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. But notice what Paul said there. He says, I, I don't account my life any value nor precious to me if only, if only, as long as I complete my course, this trajectory of faithfulness that I'm on, my assignment that I've been given from the Lord, and complete my ministry. He says, this is my if only. You know, we all have an if only. We, we say it all the time, actually. We say, before I die, you know, I, I just want to, I want to go see that part of the world. Uh, before I die, if I could only just have one of those, whatever those may be. Paul says, my if only is I want to finish the course. I want to finish the assignment that the Lord gave to me. I want to complete the ministry that the Lord gave to me. It's unique to me, Paul says. And our if only, I think, needs to be the same. 
The, the beat of our heart, the rhythm of our life needs to be, if I can just only, just if only, complete the assignment that Jesus has for me. And I want to complete the whole thing, the full assignment, not part of it. I want to complete the whole thing. In our text today, Jesus teaches us how to do that. Jesus teaches us how to complete our assignment. And we see it in Luke 22. We've been in this year-long study. It's winding down. The last Sunday will be November 26, where we've been walking through the life of Jesus. We find ourselves toward the end in Luke 22. If you don't mind, turn there. Luke 22, starting in verse 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can pick up one of these. It's in front of you, in the pew in front of you. Luke 22, verse 39. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 1048, 1048. And in Luke 22, here at this crucial point in Jesus' life, as he is about to complete his assignment through the cross, through the grave, through resurrection, through ascension, he shows us how we can complete ours. And so out of respect for God's word, I want to ask you, if you don't mind, one more time, would you please stand? Luke 22, starting in verse 39, it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think right here in this passage, Jesus teaches us something very important. I want to start with this, though. There's a word that gets used a lot these days. In some ways, it's overused. In some ways, it's used very appropriately. In some ways, this response becomes our default if we're not careful. The word I'm talking about is, is the word overwhelmed overwhelmed. It seems like we're very overwhelmed these days. We're overwhelmed by the news. We're overwhelmed by the kids' schedule. We're overwhelmed by work. We're overwhelmed by life and things just happening in life. We're overwhelmed by family, whatever it may be. We use the word overwhelmed a lot. It's interesting that Jesus has not reduced the number of hours that are in a day, but we seem to be overwhelmed quite a bit. And sometimes rightly so. In our text today, we come to this point where the disciples are actually overwhelmed. Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives. The text says it was his custom. Jesus built in this rhythm in his life where he would go out, and it seems like one of his favorite spots was the Mount of Olives. He would go out and he would pray. This time, he invites the disciples along. They go with him. But Jesus goes about a stone's throw away, and he begins to pour his heart out to the Father. In the meantime, the disciples are back, probably in close proximity to each other, and the text says in verse 45 that they are sleeping for sorrow. 
sleeping for sorrow. That phrase speaks to a particular kind of overwhelmness that the disciples are experiencing in this moment. It's a Greek word, lippy, lippy. It's a particular kind of grief that settles in. And it settles in and it begins to take over the body. All of a sudden, there is a physical and mental shutdown and all you want to do is sleep. It's as if it's hard for you to keep your eyes open. This is the emotion that they are feeling here. This is the emotion that they're experiencing. Everything that's been going on leading up to this entrance into Jerusalem and now the events that are about to take place there. Remember, it's been since Luke 9, 51 that they've been on this journey when it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. His disciples have been with him all along the way. We're now in Luke 22, and a lot of things have been happening. He's had the Last Supper with his disciples. All of this is taking place. And then there are things that Jesus is talking about with his disciples about what's going to take place. And he's beginning to talk about this idea of crucifixion and rising on the third day. And all of this is weighing on them. And they come to this point. Jesus invites them to come pray, and their eyes are so heavy. They can't even stay awake. The grief, the sorrow, the pressure, the weight is overwhelming. Have you ever been there? Yes? Some of you have. It's that feeling of, I just can't get out of the bed. It's that feeling of decision fatigue. If I have to make one more decision. It's that feeling like you're, you're just in a fog. It's like nothing is clear. You start forgetting things. You start forgetting where you left things and more than usual. You can't think beyond tomorrow. That is what the disciples are experiencing in this moment. But the interesting thing is, that's not what Jesus is experiencing. The disciples are experiencing sleep for sorrow, lippy, They are overcome by this grief, but in verse 43, the text tells us that Jesus is actually being strengthened. They're experiencing sorrow. They can't even keep their eyes open, but Jesus, not Jesus, he's being strengthened, the text says. The text tells us that he's being strengthened to press in. He's being strengthened to press in in prayer. In fact, verse 44 says that he prays more earnestly. Jesus begins to pray so hard that in this moment, his sweat becomes drops of blood falling to the ground, Luke says. It's as if Jesus is strengthened in this moment to agonize in prayer. Now, you need to know something about Jesus' prayer life. Jesus' prayer life would scare most people. It really would. And if you want to understand how Jesus prayed and what it sounded like when Jesus prayed, you have to understand one particular verse, and that's Hebrews 5.7. Again, if you have a Bible, go there. Hebrews 5.7. Write this verse down, circle it, highlight it, underline it, something. I want you to know this verse. Hebrews 5.7. Hebrews 5.7 says, In the days of his flesh, meaning in the days of Jesus' incarnation, his first coming, in the days of his flesh, notice it says days, Jesus offered up prayers, plural, and supplications, plural. Jesus, he's describing Jesus' prayer life. Jesus would plead with the Father about things and ask the Father to supply the things that he needs. Okay? In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries 
and tears. When Jesus would pray, many times, we get a glimpse of it here at the Mount of Olives. But when Jesus would pray, Hebrews says that Jesus would pray and he would pray with loud cries and with tears. He would be sobbing, tears streaming down his face. This is how Jesus prayed. So many times we think that prayer is just that nice little thing that someone says and they sound like Mr. Rogers and it makes us feel good on the inside. Jesus prayed. When Jesus prayed, he prayed with loud cries and with tears. Not just one time, many times. And he prayed to him who was able to save from death. Meaning, Jesus prayed to the God of resurrection. And then notice, it says, and he was heard because of his reverence. Reverence. So many times we think reverence means quietness. That's not reverence. That's just being quiet. So many times we think reverence means being calm. That's not, that's not being reverent. That's just being calm. You know, you can be quiet and you can be calm and God could be the furthest thing from your mind, right? So, yeah, we can fake reverence a lot in the church where we try to act dignified, you know, we're just, let us pray. Right? <laughs> that's what I normally sound like. Anyway, Jesus prays, loud cries, tears, and he has reverence for God, and that's why he's heard. See, reverence is not about the volume. It's not about the noise in the room. Reverence is about who is hallowed in the room. That's what reverence is about. Jesus revered the Father. He was set apart as holy in him. That's why he would go to him and he would pour his heart out, loud cries and tears. As Jesus was praying in the garden, to be honest with you, I don't know how the disciples fell asleep or I don't know how far that stone's throw was because Jesus is over there agonizing in prayer and they're still falling asleep. But notice the difference. Notice the difference. The disciples are being overcome with sorrow. Many times that's where we find ourselves. But Jesus is being strengthened. He's being strengthened to agonize in prayer. And right here, Jesus teaches us how to complete our assignment. There's three words. The words are withdrew, willing, and will. I want you to see in verses 41 and 42. Withdrew, willing, and will. Notice it opens up and it says, after he tells the disciples to pray, they would not enter into temptation. Verse 41, and he withdrew about a stone's throw and knelt down and he prayed. Jesus needed some earthly separation so that he could have a heavenly connection. And you and I need the same. If you are going to complete your assignment, the assignment that God has for you, if you're going to complete it, if you really are, then you're going to have to withdraw from time to time and get away with the Father. You show me someone who does not know their assignment and is not completing their assignment, and I will show you somebody who is not withdrawing and getting away with the Father. You show me someone who is just walking around confused, say, well, I really don't know what God's will is, not really sure, not really sure. It's because they're not agonizing in prayer with the Father on their own. Jesus withdrew. He got away from the disciples. He didn't need the disciples distracting him. You do know that disciples can distract you sometimes. We love them. Don't get me wrong. We need each other. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we need to get alone. Jesus didn't need the disciples sitting there. I can just see them. They're over there praying. Jesus pouring his heart out. If he was close enough, the disciples would be like, psst, psst, Jesus. I know we're praying. But I was reading in Moses the other day. Or Jesus, three weeks ago you did a miracle. I don't get it. He didn't need any of that. He didn't need any of that. In fact, Jesus did not want to see the disciples yawn. You know, yawning is contagious. You know, one person yawn, everybody starts yawning. Jesus didn't have time to yawn. No. He's pouring his heart out before the Father. 
He did not want the disciples to distract him. He didn't want to look around and see their bored looks on their faces. He didn't want to see that. So he got away. Here's the thing. When we fail to withdraw and get away with the Father, when we fail to withdraw and get away with the Father, that's when we start surrendering surrendering ourselves to the currents around us. We find ourselves living unanchored. And all of a sudden, all the cultural currents that are around us just, just start taking us in that way when we don't withdraw and get with the Father. But whenever we get away, whenever we take time to regularly get away, remember, this was Jesus' custom. This was part of his normal rhythm in life. When we take time to get away with the Father, that's when we start experiencing, that's when we start participating in the culture of heaven. That's when we start experiencing and participating in the atmosphere of heaven because when we get away with the Father, he shows up and he manifests his presence in our lives and all of a sudden now we're in that atmosphere, we're in that culture. So if we're going to advance, we have to withdraw. If we're going to move forward and complete our assignment, we have to withdraw. And again, if you don't feel like you're gaining ground in life, go back and ask yourself, are you really getting away with him? Are you really going away and getting in the presence of the Father? Withdrew. Second word, willing. Notice that the text goes on. Verse 41, it says, he withdrew about a, from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed. Verse 42 Here's his prayer. The first part is, Father, if you are willing, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This is a request. This is a request, and Jesus is making a request about a certain cup. The cup he's referring to is the cup of suffering that he is about to go through. Back in Matthew uh, chapter 20, We see that two of Jesus' disciples, the sons of Zebedee, they were kind of mama's boys. And so their mom came to Jesus one day and is like, "Uh, Jesus, I have a request for you. Whenever you come into your kingdom, can my boys, can one sit on your right and one sit on your left? And Jesus looks at her with that blank stare and then looks at them and he says, can you guys really drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? And because they're idiots, they said yes. (laughs) And Jesus goes, all right, look, time out. No, you can't, but you will have your own cup. The cup represents the portion of life that God gives to you. It's God's portion in life. We call it his will. It's his portion of life that he offers to you that you get to choose whether or not you participate in. And so Jesus says, is this time? Is this the cup that I am to drink of? Is this the portion that's being served to me? If it is now, uh, Lord, I'd rather not do it. You know, in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, the text tells us, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and it tells us that you cannot, cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and drink of the cup of demons. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. And we're offered multiple cups, portions in life, options in life. We have to choose to live in the will of God. And this is crucial, this question being asked that Jesus is asking. Very, very important. This is a crucial question. It's actually crucial that Jesus asked the question because in doing so, he reveals many things, two of which are, number one, in asking this question, Jesus reveals the non-coercive will of God. So many times when we think about God's will, we just think, well, God's gonna do what God's gonna do and you know, if he wants me to do something, he'll just make me do it. God does not operate that way. God's will is not coercive in your life. It is not domineering in your life. Yes, there are things that are gonna happen according to God's will. Those things are gonna happen. You cannot stop them, absolutely. There are events taking place in human history that cannot be stopped. But when it comes to you walking in God's will for your life, he's not gonna make you do it. You have to choose it. 
And Jesus reveals that here. Secondly, Jesus reveals this right and privilege we have to go to the Father with anything. You can talk to the Father about anything in your life, even when you don't want to do it. Anything. As you're wading into the will of God for your life, we don't always know what it means beginning to end. As you're wading into the will of God for your life, you get to talk with him about, is this a part of your will? Is this what it is? My prayer is that we would choose what Jesus chose on this day and what the psalmist chose in Psalm 116, verse 13. When he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation, I will call on the name of the Lord. Whenever we are going through life and all of a sudden something happens, especially when it's hard, so many times we try to avoid those things. Jesus hears at the hardest moment of his life. And so many times when we come to life and things are hard, we say, no, 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 that, that can't be God's will. That's too hard. That's too painful to go through. No, that's when we need to pause and we say, no, no, no. The only cup I want to lift up is the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. Lord, is this a part of your salvation in my life? And God can take anything, he can use anything, those things that we go through, even though they're hard, he can use those things to bring about salvation into our life. I'm not just talking about salvation and going to heaven. I'm talking about the saving power of God in your life today, today. So it's very important that Jesus pray this kind of prayer in sheer honesty as he is agonizing, pouring his heart out to the Father. So it starts with withdrawing, it start, and then it begins to, he begins to ask these questions But then the third word, it's withdrew, willing, will. Withdrew, willing, will. He's gone away by himself. He's pouring his heart out to the Father, but his resolution is this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The first question he asked the Father was a request. The second was a declaration of loyalty. Jesus says, Father, I'm not going to live my life on your terms. I mean, on my terms. I want to live life on your terms. And anytime we try to live life on our terms, I promise you, I promise you, number one, you're going to miss God. Number two, you're going to miss God's best for your life. Every time. And again, I want to complete the full assignment that God has given to me. I want you to complete the full assignment that God has given to you. And in order for us to complete the full assignment that he has assigned to each one of us, it takes us coming to this place where, yes, we're pouring our heart out in prayer. Yes, we're taking our request to God. But ultimately, we're saying, God, I want to submit to your will in my life. And as long as we want life on our terms, we're always missing. Several years ago, I went to a church. I was talking with someone. I said, are you a member of this church? They said, yeah, I'm a member of this church. I said, do you like being a member of this church? I said, yeah, I like being a member of this church. I said, what do you like about it? Their answer was interesting. They said, well, this is the least amount of religion you can get in an hour for the investment you have to put in. (laughs) Hmm. But so many times, isn't that how we look at life, if we're being honest? We just want to sprinkle a little religion in here, sprinkle a little spirituality in there. You know, just give me just enough of Jesus to make me feel good. What they said is laughable, but so many times it's true. It's true. As long as we want life on our terms, we're always missing. We're always missing. Jesus at the hardest moment of his life. He says, Father, I don't want this, but, but, but I will to will your will. 
I will to will your will. Not my will, your will. I don't want it. I don't emotionally want this, but I will to will your will. You see, if you're gonna complete your assignment, you gotta do these three things. You gotta withdraw. You gotta get away with the Father. You have to. It's absolutely essential. You gotta turn the phone off. You gotta get away. Get away from people. You gotta get away. You gotta pour your heart out about the things that are just bothering you, the things you don't want. But then you have to will to will his will. And you want that above all else. That's how you will complete your assignment. See, here's the question of the morning. The question of the morning is, will you? Will you complete your assignment? I don't care what your age is in here. I don't care what your background is in here. If you're a Christian, the question is, will you complete your assignment? Because you have one. You have one. We're not going to question that. You have one. God has assigned something for you to do, somebody for you to become, someone for you to be. His assignment always involves those two things. Who am I to be and what am I to do? And the question is, will you complete it? That is the question. And if you're going to complete it, if you're going to complete it, you cannot live in yesterday. So many times we live with regrets or we live with the glory days of the past or whatever it may be. Listen, yesterday is gone. It is gone. That's why Jesus says, uh, a servant is not fit for the kingdom of God if they put their hand to the plow and they constantly look back. If you're constantly looking back at yesterday, you're never going to live today. But also, you don't have tomorrow yet. Tomorrow's not here. You don't have tomorrow. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. What you have is today. And the question is, will you complete your assignment today? Will you be who he's called you to be today? Will you do what he's called you to do today? You can't go back to yesterday. You don't have tomorrow yet. Will it be today? You see, the enemy of today is someday. Someday I will. One day I will. Or when you know, things in my life get kind of settled, I will. No, no, you have today. That's all you have. And if you're going to complete your assignment, it starts today. To be who he's called you to be, to do what it is he's called you to do today. There's this disease in the church that keeps us from doing this. It's one word. It's called there's not. There's not. I'm Southern, so I put it in one word. It's actually three words. The words are, they are not. They are not. Well, well, they're not doing it. They're not praying like that. They're not worshiping. They're not in a small group. They're not in it. Who cares? In one sense. We have to ask the question, am I going to complete my assignment today? Don't look around. Don't compare. Are you going to complete your assignment today. I want you to. That's why I want you to withdraw and get away with the Father. So I want you to pour your heart out to him in prayer, in agony, tears. Lay it all before him. I think many times, I, am a, I, I came out of the counseling field, I am for counseling, absolutely. But I think many times we spend years in therapy because we do not pour our heart out to the Father in prayer. Amen. And so we need somebody to process it with. Process it with the Father. Again, I'm not against counseling. Came out of that world. But we gotta withdraw. We have to pour our heart out and then ultimately, ultimately come to that place of declaration where we will to will the will of the Father above all else in our life. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my sons. That's what I want for my wife. That's what I want for my brother, my sister, in-laws, my parents. This, to complete the assignment. We have a long line of those who have gone before us. 
Some of them, a few, are represented by these candles up here. And one day, one of those is going to represent me and you. And the question is, will you and I have completed our assignment? I pray we will. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us. Help us not make excuses, but instead withdraw. Help us not cheapen prayer and instead pour out our heart. Help us not follow our will, but yours. Lord, you are our ever-present help in time of need. And if we as individuals and the church today has ever needed you, we need you today. Would you help us? Would you prepare our hearts to receive holy communion? And as we take it this morning, may we declare, not my will, but yours be done. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name and everybody said.